how exciting, man. How exciting. The way maker, the promise keeper, the light in the darkness that we were singing about earlier. It's not wanting to just work and move in my heart and in your heart sitting here today. It's wanting to move in the hearts of people in their workplaces. Your workplace. Those people are feeling hopeless, helpless. He's wanting to speak and move in those places. Well done to Sam. May more of us uh, embrace um, that call of God in our lives to be who he wants us to be, not just here, but in our workplaces too. Well, if, you, if I've never met you, my name's Vaughan. I'm one of the pastors here at City, and uh, we are in week three of a new series in Acts. We've been in a couple of series in Acts over the course of this year, and the series this time uh, that we are speaking into is called Salt and Light. But I, uh, I want to just remind us, if you don't already know this, we as an eldership team, at the beginning of this year, or actually towards the end of last year, felt that God wanted us to specifically focus in on the book of Acts this year. And that's because God's wanting us to, at City Hope Church, and the people who come to City Hope Church, He's wanting us to be a people who really do represent Him well. He's wanting us to be a people who are empowered for witness. A people who embrace his call to mission. To live for a cause that's bigger than us, his cause. To be a people who will live to bring the hope and the good news of Jesus into their world. Into their spaces, places, relationships like Sam just said. In Johannesburg, South Africa, and wherever God may take us in the world. See, God is wanting to heal the sick. He's wanting to free the oppressed. He's wanting to save the lost. And we are his plan to see that accomplished. He's wanting to use you and me. Last week we saw, as James preached, how a religious uh, woman, how an oppressed slave girl, how a secular jailer was saved. We saw how uh, demons were cast out. We saw our prison walls came down. And sometimes when we read all of those exciting stories in, in, in Acts, we can very easily skip over or, or read quickly through the passage of Scripture that I'm going to be focusing on today. In all of the excitement of seeing many miracles, many people coming to salvation, we can miss what we're going to be reading today. But God's called us to be salt and light. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 18, just 10 verses this morning. Acts 18, verse 18 to 28. This is what it says. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off in, at Sencre because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And then he set sail from there. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there, traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. 
He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Just that far, let us pray. Lord, I want to pray and say thank you uh, for your word today, Lord. Thank you that uh, every single part of Scripture is uh, for our instruction, and uh, you're wanting to speak to our hearts today, Lord. I pray that we would hear what it is that you're saying, but we would do more than just hear it. We would embrace it and uh, be everything that you're wanting us to be um, as we go out from this place today. I ask for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So at first glance, you might look at this passage of Scripture and think to yourself, it's just a very quick summary of, you know, a bit of a travelogue of the period of time between Paul's second and third missionary journeys. And that's what I thought initially. And then I said, Lord, please uh, show me what it is that you're wanting to say to your people today. What is it that you're wanting us to see? What is it that you're wanting us to grasp? And I felt God say this, don't miss the workers See the workers, be the workers. And so I've entitled today's message, See the Workers, Be the Workers. And I just want to set the scene a little bit um, before we look at uh, this, this passage in Acts. As I said, today God is wanting us to see the workers because he's wanting you and me to be his workers. Now in 2022. And Jesus talks about workers in Matthew chapter 9 from verse 35 to 38, and it says this. Jesus went through all the nation, all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. We see Jesus teaching the good news. We see Jesus healing people's sickness and disease. But the crowds are huge. It's this, they, they're described as helpless and harassed. And the Bible says that Jesus has compassion on them. He has compassion on them. And what is his response as he looks at this harassed crowd, this helpless crowd, and he feels the compassion? What is his response? His response is to send workers to them. His response is to send people who believe in him to them. Last week, we saw, as I said earlier on, Lydia getting saved, slave girl getting saved, uh, uh, um, jailer getting saved. You want to know why this happened? This happened because there were workers at their rivers, workers on their streets, workers in their prisons, workers in their legal firms, because there were workers out there. 
See, the harvest has always been plentiful. It's maybe more plentiful today than it's ever been. As I speak to believers around the world, the common theme of what they say is it seems like the harvest is greater than ever. I think what has happened in the last two years is that many of the false hopes promising people security, many of the false pleasures promising people joy came crashing down as COVID arrived on the doorsteps of the world. And all of a sudden, the security of work, the security of healthcare, pleasure of being able to travel to friends, pleasure of being able to go to a restaurant, go on holiday, they all came crashing down. And people recognized that, 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 that what they were putting their hope in was actually very shakable, a very unsure foundation. And as a result, people began to look for real hope and real joy. And in that process, Jesus, many of them have found Jesus. But there are many that still do not know Jesus. Because real hope and real joy is not found in a something or a some place. It's found in a someone. And his name is Jesus. See, the harvest is still plentiful. The crowds are still helpless and harassed. Jesus still has compassion on the crowds. Jesus' response has not changed. His response is still to place workers in the lives of people so that they can tell peop the, uh, people in their lives who Jesus is so that those people can know the hope and the salvation that comes only in the name of Jesus. And so we are workers. And so as we think about this passage in Acts, how does Acts help us as we, um, as we embrace and understand the reality that God wants us to be his workers? Well, yeah, some things that I saw as I read through this passage in Acts. First thing I saw is that the workers use what is in their hands. No cookie cutter here. No look the same, speak the same, look, uh, act the same. No, very different people. Only requirement to be a believer and follower of Jesus. Other than that, the workers that we read about in our passage in Acts were very different. Unique gifts, unique uh, wiring, and yet all they did was use what God had placed in their hand. Used what God was calling them to, to be workers in his harvest field. Paul is the most well-known of the workers in the, in the passage that we read. The apostle to the Gentiles. What was in his hand? Well, he was single. He was well-educated. He was a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was very zealous. He was so zealous that he was persecuting the church until he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. Those were some of the things that Paul had in his hand. But how did he use what was in his hand? Well, uh, when you're single, it's a whole lot easier to travel, right? Um, traveling from region to region was a whole lot easier for Paul. Um, but also his zeal changed from a zeal to persecute the church to a zeal to preaching who Jesus was. And then his education helped him as he reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue. His encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus helped him to preach a message of God's grace and salvation in Jesus. The things that had happened in his life, God used in his hand so that people could come to know Jesus. 
But he wasn't the only worker that we read about in our Acts passage. We read about Apollos as well. What does he have in his hand? Well, he hasn't, doesn't have any title. He's not known as an apostle. He's just a believer. He's just a believer. Uh, he too is single. He's a learned man. He's fervent, has a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, but he has an incomplete understanding of who Jesus is. How does he use what is in his hand? Well, he just travels to Ephesus as a believer. Nobody sends him. He goes and he begins to speak. Um, he begins to speak even although he doesn't have a complete understanding of the ways of God. I want you to notice that. Even although he has an incomplete understanding of the ways of God, he begins to speak. He doesn't let that hold him back. And then we see that he's a man that proves uh, amongst the Jews that Jesus was the promised Messiah. I'm sure his education played a part there. So two people so far, Paul and Apollos. I am personally very grateful that we also see a Priscilla and Aquila in this passage. I can relate to them a little bit more. The reason why I can relate to them a little bit more, and many of us can, are various, but I'm sure many of us are relieved that they're in this passage. Reason being, there's no mention made of them having this um, great education. They're just believers in Jesus. That doesn't mean we can't grow in our knowledge of Jesus. Actually, if you're part of City, you're welcome to come to City Institute at any time. It will really help you to have a better understanding of who Jesus is. But you don't get that impression from these guys. There's no mention of the education. I am personally relieved to read that God uses married people and also single people. All the marrieds in the house, are you glad that he doesn't just use the singles? He uses marrieds too. And then it's very clear that God uh, uses women and not just men. What did they have in their hand? Well, they had their marriage. They had a business. They were tent makers, and they had um, their home. How did they use what was in their hand? They allowed their marriage and their, be, their home to be used for the work of God. They instruct Apollos as a married couple in their home. I think, think about that and I think to myself, that's quite incredible. They're speaking to Apollos, their home is open, and yet these guys run their own business. I'm sure they had enough work on their hands, and yet they've got time to make every single aspect of their life be something where Jesus is able to use them. I love that about them. I want to say this, I really believe that God is wanting to use married couples like never before. He's wanting to use singles too. Two of the guys in this passage were single. But I want to say he wants to use married couples like never before. He's wanting you to build your home, uh, to, to build more than just a good marriage, more than just a great career, more than a nice house. He's wanting to, you to take what he's placed in your hands and use it to build his kingdom. He's wanting you to be builders of his kingdom. As married people, he has placed you in people's lives that he is wanting to reach with his love and his salvation. As a quick aside, Priscilla and Aquila, when they meet Paul in, this, uh, in, in Corinth, um, they weren't there by their own volition. They had actually been expelled from Rome 
for what they believed. And yet, what did we find them doing in Corinth? They were at work doing the works of God. What do we learn from that? Yes, what I think we learn from that. We learn, don't wait for the ideal circumstances before you decide to be at work for Jesus. Sometimes we can put it off. Wait until I'm married. Wait until the kids are out the house. Wait until the kids go to school. No, God is wanting us to recognize that he's wanting to use us in every single season of our lives. And so let's, let's have hearts that say, Lord, won't you use me? Won't you use our marriage? Won't you use our home? Won't you use my singleness? All for your glory. So every single one of these uh, workers used what God had put in their hands. Every single one of them was necessary. If Paul had not got on mission uh, to Corinth, he would have never, never met Priscilla and Aquila. If uh, he had never met Priscilla and Aquila, they would have never traveled with him to Ephesus. And they would have never heard Apollo speaking. And they would have never had the opportunity to instruct him more deeply in the ways of God. And if Apollos had not had that, I'm pretty sure he would not have had um, the, the, the um, he would not have been someone, someone who was a contemporary of Paul in Corinth. He became known as a contemporary of Paul. You see, when it came to the impact of God in the lives of men and women in this region, every single one of uh, these workers Every single one of these believers was necessary. Nothing has changed today. It's the same today. When it comes to the impact of God on the lives of men and women in our neighborhoods and in our nation, every single one of us is necessary. And God is saying to us today, will you see that you are necessary? You're not insignificant. You're necessary to what he's wanting to do. Charles Swindle wrote the following who taught Martin Luther his theology and inspired his translation of the New Testament? Who visited Dwight Al Moody at a shoe store and spoke to him about Christ? Who was the elderly woman who prayed faithfully for Billy Graham for over 20 years? Who financed William Carey's ministry in India? Who helped Charles Wesley get underway as a composer of hymns? You probably don't know, do you? Had it not been for those unknown people those nobodies, a large chunk of church history would be missing. And a lot of lives would have been untouched. But they were people just like you and me. And God used them to encourage and empower others. And as a result, church history was changed. Let us use what God has put in our hands. Next thing I saw in this passage is that the workers are not silent about Jesus. Not one of them is silent about Jesus. Not one of them leaves it up to the imagination of people as to what they believe and who they believe in. Everyone knew that they believed in Jesus, the one who is the only way, the only truth, and the only one who can bring, um, give them life. Also, these workers don't leave all the speaking up to the man of God, the apostle Paul. No, every single one of them speaks, and they speak in their own way. In verse 19, we read that Paul reasons with the Jews. In verse 26, we read that Priscilla and Aquila explain the way of God more adequately to Apollos. In verse 25 and 26, Apollos teaches, speaks boldly, 
very different, d- different approaches in different circumstances, but they all um, speak. Apollos, once again, was someone who, who didn't have a complete understanding, and yet he spoke. He didn't hold back. I think for some of us in this room, and I was there for a very long time, we want to know everything there is to know about Jesus before we will open our mouth and tell people about Jesus. We feel like if we don't know everything, we can't tell. And Jesus is saying, no, it's the wrong way around. He's saying, tell what you do know. Won't you speak about what you already do know? If you know Jesus in this room today and you are saved, then you know that Jesus loves people. You know that Jesus loves sinners. You know that Jesus died on a cross for sinners, that Jesus forgives sinners, and that uh, Jesus purposes people uh, in his mission. You know a whole lot. Why don't you pass that on? If you're reading your Bible on a daily basis, as all of us should be, because we love Jesus and we want to know him more, then why don't you, uh, when, when you read in the morning, say, Lord, is there somebody that you would have me encourage with what I'm reading today? Maybe there's somebody in your workplace who's going through a really difficult time. You know they're not a believer. Maybe it is somebody who's a believer, but let's just assume that this person isn't. And you go up to them and you say, say, you know, I was busy reading my Bible this morning, and I think this aspect of who God is will really encourage you. Because you know their circumstance. Who knows what God might not do with something simple like that to point somebody to this God isn't somebody that's out of touch. He actually cares about people. So they all speak about Jesus, and they speak about him everywhere. They speak about him everywhere. In the synagogue, they are, are in debates, um, public debates. They're speaking about him in their homes. And as they speak about him, we see what Jesus does in the hearts of those listening. We see it in this passage. We've read about it uh, on many occasions and spoken about it in the book of Acts. But just in this passage, think about it. George, uh, George. Um, Paul, go, I don't know where George came from. He's our, he, he, he's our fish guy. But anyway, maybe it's because Jesus wants us to be fishers of men. I don't know. Um, <laughs> oh, goodness. I think I better go to that over 50s tea. <laughs> um, but just think about it. Yeah, Paul goes into a synagogue. He's speaking to the Jews. Um, and he doesn't get thrown out. He actually gets invited to stay. God at work in their hearts. Um, Apollos, he's a learned man. He's willing to receive instruction from Priscilla and Aquila. He doesn't say to them, listen, man, I've got a better education than you guys, than you guys do. What, you don't have anything to tell me. He receives it humbly. Um, God at work in his heart. And then obviously we see Apollos um, himself uh, proving that Jesus is the Christ amongst Jewish opponents. And uh, we're seeing their lives change. So we are Jesus' workers. But it actually goes a little bit deeper than that because sometimes when we think workers, all of us are just living for December when we can go on holiday. So workers don't sound sometimes so exciting. We're a little bit more than just Jesus' workers. We're actually his co-workers. We're his co-workers. And that's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing that we get to co-work with him. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 and 18 and verse 20 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we have been given as believers. We are therefore God, uh, Christ's ambassadors 
as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Jesus is co-workers. He works with us, and as we uh, speak about him, he makes his appeal through us. Think about that for a moment. As we allow the words of Jesus and who Jesus is to come out of our lips and, and through our mouth, he makes his appeal in people's hearts. That's what he actually did in our lives. He made his appeal he made in, in, in our hearts, and he deeply impacts lives. Paul uh, says this about his and Apollos' work in Corinth. What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through who you came to believe. As the Lord is assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. So we are not just workers in God's harvest field. We are co-workers with him. We work with him. He works with us. That means when we're working for him, he does his work in the hearts of people. I guess the question is, are we working? Are we working so that he can work with us? I heard the story and I thought it was appropriate at this point in the preach. The story about an old man who used to work among people in India, preached the gospel there for many years, um, but on a particular day, he felt God uh, stirring his heart to go up into the mountains, go up into the mountains and speak to an unreached tribe up in the mountains. And so he begins to make his way up into those mountains. As I said, he's old, he's feeling tired, he wants to stop. And uh, as he thinks about stopping, he just has this urgency in his heart. This urgency to not stop, to push through. And so he does, although it's quite a distance still to go. He arrives in the village, he preaches about Jesus, he gives it his all. And what do the people do? They throw him out of town. This old guy, being very discouraged, despondent, goes and finds himself a tree. He's exhausted, some shade. He sits down to rest. He takes off his shoes because his feet became bloodied as a result of his urgent walking to this village. He falls asleep under this tree, and um, a while later in the day, this crowd around him wakes him up, and he thinks to himself, this is it. They're coming to stone me. I'm going to die. But instead, the leader of this tribe says, we were walking past. We knew that you were a holy man because you'd gone into the village, right? But we saw your feet, and we thought to ourselves, that message must have been very important for you to, 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 to endure that agony to your feet. Won't you come to our village again and preach that message? He went to the village, and the rest is history. God co-worked with him in people's hearts. God is wanting to do that in our lives on a daily basis. Might not be a village might be a colleague, a friend, a family member. Maybe there were days when we used to tell people about Jesus, when we used to uh, uh, make him known, but maybe we've just got too busy, complacent, haven't prioritized that, we've prioritized a whole lot of other things. God is wanting to use us. 
See, Jesus wants to co-work with us among strangers, friends, family, colleagues, because he's desperate for people who are harassed and helpless to come to know the one who loves them, the one who died for them. Next thing that I see in this passage is that the workers care about the lost and the found. It's very important to recognize that God is not just about saving the lost. He's about building the found. He's always at work in both areas. And he's wanting us to co-labor with him in both areas too. We see that uh, the guys in this passage, the workers in this passage, live this out in verse 23. It says this about Paul. After spending time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Paul travels from place to place to strengthen those who are saved, those who have met and found Jesus. That word strengthening in the original Greek means this. Listen to these wonderful words, to uphold, to prop up. How many of you need some propping up today? Support, make stronger, to establish, to make firm, to strengthen by extending, preceding, understanding. I thought that's quite long-winded, that last little bit. But that is exactly what Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos. They strengthened him by extending his previous understanding about Jesus. God is wanting us not to just be a people found working amongst the lost, but he's wanting us to be a people who will strengthen each other. See, believers need strengthening. And here those believers are strengthened by other believers. I get that there might be times when we break each other down, but God's heart is that believers are strengthened by other believers. I want to ask you today, are you taking strain? Are you falling apart? Are you seeing a pattern of sin developing in your life that is scaring you? Because it's like a whirlpool pulling you deeper and deeper. If you're feeling like that, then can I ask you? Can I ask you, are you regularly in church? Are you part of a city group? This isn't an institution. This is God's plan for his people. Are you part of those two things? Are you among other believers? Are you among other believers where you can be strengthened, propped up, where you can be taught the ways of God so that you can be helped and so that you can stand firm when you're in need? I had two, two mates. I was a little bit older than them, not, uh, not too much older. Um, they had uh, just given their lives to Jesus, just become saved. And uh, yes, they were wild bunks, wild guys. But one thing that they got so right is that as soon as they got saved, they wanted to tell other people about Jesus. That was amazing. The only problem is, is that uh, they didn't take so much attention in terms of being strengthened in their faith, in terms of being built in their faith. They were out telling people about Jesus all the time. Great. I'm so glad they were doing that. But they were not being strengthened. And it wasn't long before their life began, began to fall apart. You see, they needed to be sharing their faith, but they also needed to be getting strengthened. 
They needed to be strengthening others. They needed to be strengthened in God's word. They needed to be taught God's word because life happens to believers and unbelievers. And when life happens, we want to be able to take God's word and apply it to our circumstances. But they knew none of that. So when life happened, they didn't have God's word to apply. They just applied their own old pattern of behavior. God needed to strengthen them. And they needed to be preaching the gospel like they were. They just needed to have both sides of the coin. I want to ask you, what word would describe you best at the moment when it comes to being strengthened in church or city group? If you're the one needing to be strengthened or strengthening others in those two environments. Would you describe yourself as an attender, maybe a spectator, onlooker? Or would you describe yourself as a participator? partner, co-worker with Jesus. For those of us that would consider ourselves or define ourselves as a spectator today, and I think we've all been at that place even in our Christian journey, I want to encourage you not to play games. Don't buy the lie that all you need is Jesus and you don't need to gather with his people. He wants to co-work in your life, listen to this, he wants to co-work in your life using other believers. He's wanting other believers to strengthen you and co-work with them so that he can work in your life. And so I want to encourage you today to make it a priority again if it hasn't been. Make it a priority to be somebody who receives strength but also gives strength. Be consistently Amongst God's people. Last thing I saw in this passage is that the workers don't stop working. You don't ever see them ticking boxes. Shared my faith, tick. Led a person to Jesus, tick. Went to city group once in my life, tick. Or for a season in my life, tick. Done with that, what's next on the list? You don't see that again. You see them that they go again and again from region to region, strengthening believers. And they go again and again from region to region, uh, telling people about who Jesus is, preaching to the lost. For me, um, somebody that reminds me of someone like this, someone who is, uh, was a worker until the day he died, which is what Jesus wants us to be, a worker amongst the lost and the found not for a season, not for little bursts, but consistently until the day we die. Someone who reminds me of uh, that is the late Doug Laurie. Many of you here remember him, know him, knew him. You know what was so incredible about Doug? Until the day he died, he was still asking questions about who Jesus was, wanting to know more about Jesus. He was still arriving before the 8 o'clock gathering to pray for the people that would be coming to church that day, that God would impact their hearts. He was still leading a city group in his home. He was still propping up and strengthening people like you and me. Are you a little bit older today? You've known Jesus for many years. Maybe you're not, uh, you don't consider yourself old but you've known Jesus for many years. You used to tell people about Jesus. Maybe you've never started doing that and Jesus is putting his finger on your heart today as far as that goes. 
But either way, are you continuing in it? I feel like God is saying, won't you continue to reach forward? Won't you continue to run your race? Won't you continue to live your life for the, uh, for the biggest cause and the greatest cause ever, for the most important cause, for his cause? He's encouraging us today. So how would he have us respond? Two groups of people I feel he's wanting to speak to today. First is a group of people that are helpless in arrest. You're helpless in arrest because you don't know Jesus. Life does happen to believers and unbelievers. But because you don't know Jesus, you don't know a hope. You don't know that there's somebody that loves you, that's got you in his hand, that will never leave you, never forsake you, who already said that you are valuable to him by dying on the cross. You don't have an internal deep hope that comes from God. And that's why you're hopeless and arrest when circumstances come. There is no hope. You don't know who to turn to. His name is Jesus. You need to respond to him today. How do you respond? You reach out to him and say, I'm a sinner. Forgive my sin. He's great at saving sinners like me and like you. And then there's a second group of people. Second group of people that God is speaking to today, and that is those of us who already know Jesus. We consider ourselves believers, followers of him. Paul. Apollos, Priscilla and Aquila are not here now. We are. We are here. We are here to be the workers of Jesus in our nation and in our neighborhoods. It's us. Paul and them did their work. We got to read the scriptures and get to read the scriptures that fashion their, where we read about how Jesus fashioned their lives. But it's our turn now. It's our turn now. Trevor Backman, one of the men that comes to our evening gathering a couple of months ago, had this picture, like a, a prophetic picture. He said he saw a bride with work boots on and they were dirty, muddy. When you read about the bride in Scripture, it's always speaking about Jesus' people. Jesus is saying to us, as a people at City Hope Church, let's put our work boots on. Let's get our hands dirty in the work of God. He's saying to us, City, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Won't you be those workers? He's saying, won't you put your hand up to be one of my workers in my harvest field? We need his help to do that, but he's reminding us that when we do, we don't work alone. He co-works with us.